Good evening. It is a blessing to be here tonight. I like to take the opportunity to thank Pastor for uh, inviting me. Um, it was on a short notice when I contacted him. And um, through different ways and different things that the Lord only could have put together, um, I am here tonight. I, I praise him for the many ways that he is opening doors for me to get around to different churches and different places and share God's work in my life and what he is calling me to do in Ghana, West Africa. I was born to parents that were Roman Catholics, but they also still worshipped idols. And when I was born as the first son of the family, my parents asked my grandfather on my mother's side, who was a witch doctor, to find out what my destiny was going to be. And he did find out and told my parents that I was an incarnate of the river god that he was worshipping. And so he advised my parents to send me to him so that he will grow me and nature me in the ways of this God. With the hope that one day when he is no more, I will step into his shoes and be in the shrine. But while growing up in that little African village, there was a Baptist church that was started years ago by American missionaries. At the time that I was growing up, the missionaries had returned, but the church was under the leadership of a national. And through that local church, I had the gospel on a Sunday morning. And I was very interested in getting close to the new preacher that had arrived in the church. And so I took probably the third seat from the front. And that was the morning I got nailed with the gospel. It was very clear to me that I am lost. I'm going to hell if I do not accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. You would think that after hearing such clear gospel presentation, I went forward upon the invitation and accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. To my shame, that did not happen that Sunday morning. But God used that message to work in my heart, to constantly remind me of the reality of my sin, of the reality of hell, but also of the hope of Jesus Christ. And three days later, after that same preacher came and preached another gospel message, I went forward and trusted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Five years later, in 2004, my grandfather passed away. And when he passed away, I then moved to uh, live with my parents. And two years later, in 2006, my father also died. And when my father died, I told myself, I am going to pursue the best of education so that I can help my family. I am the first of seven children. I have an a younger brother who is in college now, five sisters after him, two of them are in high school, one of them is finishing junior high, and the last two are in elementary school. And with that burden, I went to high school, I studied all I can, finished high school, had the qualification to pursue the, the career of my dream, medicine. But that night, after receiving my final results from high school, after showing them to my uncle and after him congratulating me and 
after everybody was gone out of the living room, I don't know what happened, but I just laid that resolve on the floor and went down on my knees and asked the Lord, where will you have me take these resolves? And that was the night that all thoughts of going to medical school or all thoughts of pursuing secular education were taken out of my mind. And any time I will ask the Lord in prayer, what will you have me do in terms of advancing my education? It was as clear as day, go to Bible college. And now I didn't know that when I told God something, he was going to take me up on it. This is what happened. The previous year in 2012, my final year of high school, I went forward and told the Lord after a camp preaching that whatever he wanted me to do, I will do. I didn't know he was going to call me to preach. And so I wrestled with that decision for about a month. And when you wrestle with God, something or one thing is always clear. He will always come out the winner. And I am very glad that about seven years ago, God won in my heart. I finally surrendered, went to Bible college, studied for four years, got my bachelor's, and at the end of that time, the Lord laid upon my heart to seek further Bible training so that I can help in training others for the work of the ministry. And so the Lord opened the door for me to come to Baptist College of Ministry in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. I have been studying there for the past two and a half years. Um, I'm still in school. I have one more semester after this one. Um, I just finished the first of my two classes for this semester. And with the burden of going back to help local churches to plant new churches as well as the Lord advances his kingdom and reaches the many that are still living in darkness in Ghana and also with a burden to train more nationals for the work of Christ there in Ghana. I have a presentation video that I'll have play now and after that I will give some concluding comments and then I'll open it up for questions. If you have any, get them ready. I'll be willing to answer them. Africa is often called the dark continent, not because it doesn't experience sunshine or moonlight, but because of the spiritual state of its inhabitants. I am Alexander Timbani. I was born and raised in a small African village. And while growing up, I became aware of the spiritual darkness that pervaded my own heart and the hearts of the many around me. In the west coast of Africa is a country called Ghana. There are several strongholds to the gospel of Jesus Christ that exist in Ghana. First one is false religion, the false religion of Catholicism, the false religion of Islam, and of course the false religion of animism and ancestral worship. I was raised by grandparents who were idol worshippers, and when I was born, they believed that I was an incarnate of one of the gods that they worshipped. And my grandparents dedicated me to the service of that god. One day, the darkness in my heart was revealed when the Holy Spirit of God took the gospel light and shone it upon my dark heart of sin. And that day, I left the congregation knowing very well that if I died, I would go to hell because I was sinning, I was 
an idol worshiper and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior three days after hearing that first message. And when I got saved, the Lord burdened my heart to tell many others of Jesus Christ's salvation from ancestral worship and so many other false religions that are present in Africa. Ghana has a population of about 31 million people, and out of this, only 75 of them profess Christianity. But will you realize that out of these 75%, only 24% of them are evangelical Christians? That means that only three out of every 10 Ghanaians really know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. The need in Ghana is still for gospel advance. The fact that there are so many people who have not yet heard calls for churches that will be planted among people groups that are not yet reached with the gospel. The burden I have is to train these churches, give them a gospel vision, give them a multiplication vision, and give them the great commission and let them understand that a great commission is possible today. The other need in Ghana is for churches that are already existing to believe in, in revival. To believe in, in revival means that they should be living in the life and the victory that Jesus Christ has won for us on the cross. They will have the gospel in their forefront and they will be willing to go to the next village to reach others with the gospel. There are churches who have been established, but these churches do not have the vision to reach the next village with the gospel. The ministry God has burdened me with is to go into these churches and partner with them, to train them, give them a gospel advanced vision. So it is my burden that these churches that has been planted for years, that they will be equipped, they will be given that vision to take the gospel to the next village, to the, to the next town that has not yet heard the gospel. So the Lord laid upon my heart the need for further training. And in the wake of that, the Lord directed my steps to Falls Baptist Church and to the, the training school that they have. And during my time there, God has continued to burden my heart. He has continued to sharpen the vision that He has for Ghana. He has continued to give, to give me the, the, a clearer vision and how to accomplish and fulfill the great, the great Commission in Ghana. It is with partnership and with the support of Falls Baptist Church. And then as the Lord burdened my heart, I am receiving my further training here and then going back home, the Lord has brought me in, into partnership with Baptist World Mission that will um, enable me to go and serve, to go and accomplish the Great Commission with their support and with their credibility. The last need of Ghana I will point out is the need for Christians to be trained so that they can properly handle the Word of God, so that they can properly give the vision that Jesus Christ gave when He gave the Great Commission. My burden is to go in and help their ministers and help the various pastors and the leaders that they have to train each member of the local church to know the reality of the Great Commission and not just know the Great Commission, but realize that it is possible in our generation. And also to give them that vision to reach the next village. If we bring this into our churches, I believe 
that the next villages, the next towns around places where churches are already planted are going to be rich with the gospel of Christ. God has called me to be an evangelist and I am going to fearlessly preach the gospel to witness on daily basis, to disciple those that have received the gospel and organize them into local churches, which will also have the vision of reproducing disciples and other local churches in their causes. I also believe that God will meet the need of revival through partnering with several churches, preaching revival truths, bringing them to the victorious Christian life by pointing them to the victory that is available in Jesus Christ. And the last need is for Ghanaians to be trained and be given a vision for gospel advance. I believe that God has called me to be a trainer of trainers, to train men and women to take the gospel from one village to another village, from one person to another person, till the whole country, until the whole region of Africa is reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can you be a part of what God is doing in Ghana? First of all, you can pray. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he may send laborers into the harvest field. I will implore you to pray for Ghana, that God will raise up Ghanaians to take the Great Commission into their own hands. Then the second thing you can do is you can go. Come over to Ghana and help us. Then the last thing you can do is to partner with missionaries, equip them so that the gospel ministry in Ghana will expand. There is a very great open door in the country of Ghana that invites the gospel. It is this open door that God has called me to send the gospel to, till the whole country is reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would like now to mention my three-pronged burden going back to Ghana. The place to always begin in missions is to begin by reaching lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in Ghana, we have used, or in days past, we have used several ministries to reach um, the much population or the people that are not Christians, are not Bible-believing Christians. And one of them I just want to um, highlight tonight is the radio ministry. The radio ministry has been started or was started by um, national missionaries, and that missionary, that ministry is still going uh, up till today. And the, there are two benefits to that radio ministry. First of all, it reaches many people at a time. It is a live radio production. We go on a particular radio, buy airtime, go on the radio live and preach the gospel, and that is all we do. Now, the second benefit of that is the fact that we are able to reach Muslims through that ministry. And the reason is this, that the Muslims will not walk into the church doors on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening to hear the gospel preach. If you invite them to a service, they will not attend. But as we go on the radio, we have that privilege 
of preaching the gospel to them. And they listened to the radio. Some of them have listened to those preachings, have sought for more clarifications, and today they are saved and are in our churches. And so we're going to be intensifying uh, that ministry. The proverbial we here, I'm referring to uh, Pastor Aquila that uh, Pastor mentioned, and then myself, I'll be going to partner with him uh, in ministry. And the second burden I have is the equipping of local churches. The local church is God's tool for reaching the community that it is found in. And I believe that it is not just the work of the pastor, it's not just the work of uh, people that are on staff in the church, it's not just the work of evangelists that come through, it's not just the work of the missionaries, it is actually the work of the people of the church. But in so many cases we have church members that have not led a soul to Christ all their life. And one of the reasons is that they don't know how. They don't know how to clearly present the gospel to another person and bring, and at least give the person an opportunity to trust Christ. So my burden is to go and partner with different churches and their pastors to train their members in soul winning, in discipleship, so that we see the people that come to our church every Sunday or every week witnessing throughout the week, discipling throughout the week, and then bringing these people in at the end of the week and seeing them grow, seeing them get plucked into the local church ministry. Then the last burden I have is the training of national leadership. Um, the, the work that is going on in the region where I come from, which is the Upper West region, 99% of that work is done by national pastors and national leadership. And the need is growing more and more as the churches grow in number, as new churches are being planted. We need new pastors. We need new evangelists. We need new missionaries that will not just take the, the gospel to the next town, but will take it to the next country. And so that is, that is my burden. And uh, we're going to be using um, the, the Bible college I graduated from has been a tool, a tremendous tool in training uh, nationals. And uh, we're also going to be using some other uh, training ministries as the Lord opens the door and as the Lord gives us the go-ahead to use those ministries. So those are my burdens. And um, those are the plans and the steps that I intend to take once I get back to Ghana. At this point, I will uh, pause and take questions. If you have any questions you would like to ask, please go ahead and do that now. Yes, ma'am. Are there places that um, have implemented the materials that you have learned that you can look at for an example of it? The, the reality on the ground is this. As of the time that I left Ghana, I did not know of even a gospel tract that our churches are using for evangelism. I do not know of a Sunday school material that has been developed and is being used by churches. I do not know of a discipleship material or a discipleship course that has been developed by Ghanaians and is being used by Ghanaian churches for the purpose of discipleship. So all those materials or the ministry that I am burdened with, all that is going to require materials that are going to be developed afresh 
and see them implemented in our churches. The, the local church where I am going to start working, to see that start from that local church and then extend from there. So that is, that is a burden. Um, at this point, there isn't any material. Yeah. Yes, any other questions? Yes, sir. Are you going to be in the capital city or are you going to go back into the interior of the country and do you mean the capital city of Ghana? No, I will not be in the capital city. In fact, the a trip from the capital city to the town that I'll be working in is a 12-hour bus ride. The, the town I'll be working in is called Wa, W-A. And um, that is the capital city of that region of the country. Uh, so I'll be working in that uh, region uh, but then reaching now to the surrounding villages. Um, I originally did not come from that town. I grew up in a village just about 45 minutes away from that uh, particular city, but I'll be using that ministry, or the ministry base will be in the capital city, but with the burden of reaching out to the different villages and different towns around the, that particular city. Yes, sir. Yes, the Bible on my table is um, the language is called Wali, and that is the language of the Wala people. And um, they, they, when the missionaries came, that language was not a written language at that point, and so that is why they just use the English alphabet. But if you are looking into the text of the scripture, you realize that you have apostrophes that are put before words. That, that helps the reader to know the different tonations that the language has. So let's say uh, John 3, 16, in our, in our language, we'll say, So there's that um, different tones that the language has, which are not reflected just by the English alphabet. So those apostrophes and those hyphens helps the people to understand this is our language and this is God's word in our language. There are many other languages. There are probably 40 or 50 other Ghanaian languages. And if you will divide that into... If you consider the different dialects that come under these major languages, you probably end up with over 100 dialects. And um, each one of those languages have people that speak them, and Christians or missionaries that are working among that people group try to get the Bible in that language uh, for the people. And um, it is very instrumental because when you begin to speak to the people, of what God has done for them in their own language. Um, in missiologists, like the, that is the heart's language of the people. You speak directly to their hearts. So let's say if I am going to uh, preach, or let's say preach the gospel to people that have no idea of English, if I'm speaking English, they may learn through an interpreter. But it's not going to have the same effect if I go and start showing them from a book that is written in their own language, what God has done, not just for the white man, but for them as well. That is powerful. Um, I remember clearly the, the man that started the process of 
uh, translating the Bible. His son, he's now the president of the Bible college that I graduated from, he recounts the story of when his father first translated John 3.16. And the missionary asked him to read that verse in the language. After reading the verse in his own language, he told the missionary, this is way powerful in my heart than when I read it in English. And so that was a huge encouragement for him, and that motivated him to translate the entire New Testament to begin with. And now we have the whole Bible translated into the Wali language. Yes. All right, I'll take, yes, sir. Yes, and this is, <laughs> this is, this is the reason. Um, the reality is that after my grandfather died in 2004, he was just the beginning of what the destruction that Satan had wanted to, to begin because he was like the doorkeeper. And so after he died, all of his younger brothers died, all of his male children died. And so I believe... My grandparents, or let's say my grandmother who is still alive today, may not agree with me, but I believe that I am alive today because I trusted Christ. And so his family, all of them are gone. I mean, all the male children are gone, and the, the female children are still alive. Some of them are believers, some of them are not. Uh, on my side, uh, my father, he passed away in 2006, just I, as I mentioned a few moments ago. Before he died, I have a reason to believe that he would have had the gospel sometime during his lifetime. But as of the time that he died, I did not know that he was living according to his Christian faith, if he was even saved. Um, he died in idol worship. And um, after him, I have five, uh, I have three uh, uncles. My first uncle is saved. He's serving in the church um, that um, Aquila is from. And um, my second uncle, he has a solid testimony of salvation, but he's affiliated with a more charismatic church. My last uncle is still a staunch Catholic. We have witnessed to him, told him the gospel several times, but he's chosen to be a Catholic. Uh, we're still praying for his salvation uh, in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Uh, thankfully, my mom is saved. I had the privilege of leading her to the Lord in 2010. And then the rest of my siblings are also saved. So I praise the Lord for what he's done for us and what he's still continuing to do. And just let me put in a plug for uh, my extended family on my father's side. Uh, most of them are still in either idol worship or a combination of idol worship and Islam. If you can pray for them, for God to bring them to salvation. Yes. Yes, there's a small book um, on my table. Um, that is the song book that we have. That is a song book that we use. Uh, some of them are translations of English hymns. And we just sing it according to uh, the tune in the English. So if I begin to sing one, you will know that that is the English song I'm singing. But there are also songs that our people have written, which are spiritual songs that we use for worship. Yes. All right. All right. At this point, feel free to come by after the service. I have a table out there. 
Come by, pick up a prayer card, sign up for my newsletter. I'll be very glad to uh, send that to you. But for the remainder of our time, I would like to challenge you from God's Word. So if you will turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. And if you find the book of Acts, I want you to go to chapter 17. Acts 17. If anybody has informed our minds and our hearts about doing world missions, it is the Apostle Paul. The Bible tells us of his earlier life in Acts chapter 9. And probably prior to that, we see a preview, just a glimpse of who he was in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen, the disciple, or let's say, one of the apostles, and in fact, one of the deacons of the early church was stoned. And two chapters later, we see the conversion of Paul when, as he himself recounted when he was still breathing out threatenings for believers and for Christians in the town of Damascus. And when he set out from Jerusalem to go to that city, he actually had authority to arrest all the believers and bring them back to Jerusalem for imprisonment and probably for final execution. But we realize that he set out on the journey as one man and then he came back a different man. And with that difference in his life, that also changed the direction and the trajectory of his life. And I believe that we could not have these words written, or let's say probably taking epistles in the New Testament, if not for what happened in Acts chapter 9. When Paul met Jesus Christ, not only was his life changed, but his life purpose also changed. He was somebody, he was a very learned Pharisee. He actually studied under one of the most respected teachers called Gamaliel. But Paul, as he recounts in Philippians chapter 3, when he encountered Jesus Christ, he said all the things that were gained to him, all the things that he could brag and boast about, he said he counted them as rubbish. He counted them as dank. And he said his, the, the direction of his life now at that point was that he would know Jesus Christ that he will know the suffering of Jesus Christ, that he will be conformed to the death of Jesus Christ. But as we know, he also was involved in the local church ministry. He was not just a very prominent missionary, but he also was a very good servant in the local church. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 18 that when Paul and Barnabas were in the church in the city called Antioch, they were serving, they were praying, they were fasting, and only at that point did the Lord say, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the ministry that I have called them to. And then subsequently we will see Paul and Barnabas take on a journey to go to different parts of their world to preach to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will return at the, end of Genesis, at the end of Acts chapter 14. And then in Acts chapter 15, we see what is commonly called the Jerusalem Council, when the disciples 
had to decide what commandments or what rules the Gentiles who are now believers should follow. And after that meeting, then they, they, they decided what they were going to tell them. The Bible tells us Paul told his friend Barnabas, let us go again to see our brethren. Let us go to find out how they are doing. And Barnabas wanted them to take John Mark again with them. And Paul said no, because John Mark ran away in the first missionary journey. He went back home. Probably he was homesick and he probably wanted to go and have some of his mama's food again. And Paul said, no, I'm not going to take John Mark. The Bible tells us that the disagreement was very strong between them. And Barnabas decided to still take John Mark, and Paul went with Silas. And when Paul went with Silas, just the next two cities in Lystra and Derby, they found a young man called Timothy. And the Bible tells us he would Paul have to go with them on that journey. And the Bible begins to tell us the different cities that Paul and his three friends went to preach the gospel. The text we are looking at today or tonight is one of those cities. In fact, it is called the city of Athens. And that city is, was one of the prominent cities in the region of Achaia. And in fact, it was probably the intellectual and philosophical city of that entire region. And the people, the Bible tells us, the only thing they did, they, were, they only just sat down to talk about something new or to hear something new. And Paul, when Paul showed up, he took that opportunity to tell them of what he believed. And the Bible tells us, as we pick up the story in Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Father, I pray that you will bless these moments, that they will be to your glory and to your glory alone, and that our Lord Jesus Christ will be exalted. And Father, that it will be to this end that the Lamb that was slain may receive the reward of his suffering. I pray that you will just use me as a tool in your hand. May you take me out of the way, and may you speak to all of our hearts and conform us to the image of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. In his mighty name we pray tonight. Amen. I want you to realize when Paul began to tell these people, he began at the place that they were. He used what he saw around their city to begin the conversation about God. Paul acknowledged that these people, as he mentioned, that they were too superstitious. And the word superstitious is, has the idea that these guys or these people, they were very rigid in following or in reverencing their gods. But in the word that Paul used, he pointed out to them, these things that you worship or these idols that you worship, you are actually worshiping demons and evil spirits. 
And you are very devout in doing that. But not only that, I have also come across an altar. And this altar, you are, because of your rigid superstition, though you do not know who he is, you have dedicated an altar to him. And I want to declare to you that God, that unknown God. Does that sound something familiar today? That we look around our world and we see people who are very religious. But as you begin to talk to them, you realize that they do not really have a knowledge of the one true God. You begin to realize that their knowledge, just like Paul said about Israel, they are going away to establish their own righteousness aside from the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul begins by telling them the identity of this unknown God. The Bible tells us, as Paul began to speak, is that God that made the world and all things therein, he wanted them to realize the God that you do not know and you worship him ignorantly, he is the creator of the universe. Not only is he the creator of the universe, but he is the Lord of heaven and earth. I also wanted them to realize something different about this God. He is not just a creator of the world. He's not just the God that is Lord of heaven and earth. He also wanted them to realize this God dwelleth not in temples made with hands. You cannot contain him. You cannot represent him by an image, by an idol, by a carved out wood, by a piece of wood that probably you could have used to burn fire, you could have used to cook food, you could have used to roast something. You cannot reveal or you cannot represent the God of all creation by that. And when Paul said this, They were probably sitting at the edge of their seats. And he continued and tell them, Look, neither is worship with man's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he gave us to all life and breath and all things. Now what he was letting them understand, the life that you have flowing through you today is from this God. He is the one that gives you life. He is the one, in fact, that is the source of life, of everything that you can think about that is alive. But he also wanted them to realize that he, that God, has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He wanted them to realize, look, Athenians, you are not very special. You may think because you are intellectual, you are special. I, I just want to, to pop that bottle, bubble of yours. 
You are not very special. Everybody else that lives on the surface of this world is made by that same God. And the blood that is flowing through your veins is the same blood that is flowing through the veins of every other human being. And he also wanted them to realize that God is the one that has revealed himself. He's revealed himself by creating all men of one blood. He's also the one that has revealed himself in creation. Going back to Psalm 19, when the Bible tells us through the psalmist that the heavens declare the glory of God. And he also wanted them to realize, look, your very inhabitants, where you live, and the time in history that you are living is ordained by this God. He decides what happens. He runs this place. Not only did he tell them of the identity of this unknown God who has revealed himself in history, in creation, and in mankind, but he also tells them that this man or this God has given mankind a command. What is the command? Verse 27, that they should seek the Lord. The reason why God has created people and put them at various places, at various times in history, is for this single reason, that we will seek after Him. When we seek after God, He gives us His promise that we will find Him. That they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Paul wanted them to realize, look, the God that you do not know is a God that you really can know. He is not far removed from you. Yes, he is far removed from you in that he's the creator. He's the one that determines the times and the season. He's the one that determines when and where people live. But he is also very close. That when you seek him, you sure will find him. If you are looking for him, he's not going to play hide and go seek with you. And in fact, the beginning of that is that he has revealed himself. That we can know him. But why is that really important? Why did he command that we seek after him? Why did he promise that we will find him? Why did he let us know in verse 29 that he is a God like no other? For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that a God has us like unto gold or silver or stone graving by art and man's device. After he had told them in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. In fact, this statement he was quoting one of their own philosophers. He was letting them understand. One of yourself, one of your own, have said, this God is the one in whom we live. It is in him we move, and it is in him we have our being. And not only that, he also commands that people should repent. Look at me at verse 30 when Paul said, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now command us all men everywhere to repent. 
Paul was telling them the, the knowledge that you did not have about this unknown God. That time has passed. That time God has looked over that time. But at this moment, as I have revealed to you who he is, what he has done, and what he probably and most definitely is going to do, this is now his command. Repent. Turn away from that ignorant idea that you had about him. And because right now you are well informed of what he has done for you, there's only one commandment, repent. Why is this important that they repent? Look at me at verse 31. It said, because... He has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men, in that he has raised him from the dead. Is he where Paul brings in the Lord Jesus Christ? We see he, he, he began with them at a place where they were, very superstitious, very religious, pointed out to them the God of creation, pointed out to them that the God of creation is the one that has set the boundaries of their habitation, and tells them this God has commanded you to repent of your sins, have commanded you to repent of all your wicked ways. But why? Because there is somebody and that person is God's proof. That person is God's certainty that he's going to bring you to judgment. And who is that person? Jesus Christ. And why is it important that he brings in Jesus Christ at this point? It is important because if there is no Jesus Christ, then the world cannot be brought to judgment. If there is no Jesus Christ, just like Jesus Christ himself said, when the Holy Spirit was promised in John chapter 16, he said when the Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. If that was not given, then people could say, we're not going to stand before God and be judged. But you know what? That did happen. The Holy Spirit did come. And the Holy Spirit is here today. And he's convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And what, is God, what has God done to make sure that this judgment comes to pass? Let's look at what Paul said. Whereof he, referring to God, has given assurance unto all men in that he has raised him, Jesus, from the dead referring to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We realize that in the book of Acts, anytime the apostles or the disciples will preach about Jesus Christ, there's only one thing that makes the difference about, between Jesus Christ and every other man that has lived on the surface of this world. And that fact is that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead. And because of that scandal, because of that thing that nobody in the annals of this world can refute, God is going to bring the world into judgment. And because Jesus is alive today, you better get your act together. You better get prepared to face him because you will. You're probably thinking, 
What does that have to do with me today? Let's start where Paul started. Do we have a world around us today that do not know the only true God? Yes, we do. Do we have a world that though they may seem religious, though they may seem good people, some of them even tell you that when you want to tell them about Jesus Christ, they tell you I'm good. Something just pops in my heart every single time. No, you're not. We have the privilege of being like Paul, going to tell them there is one God. He is the creator of the world. He has decided that you be alive today even during COVID. He has decided and has given you a command that you should turn from the direction that you are currently going and to him. And why is that turning important? Why is that repentance important? Because he's going to bring you to judgment. And he has made sure of it by raising his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. You see, Jesus Christ in John chapter 5, he said, The Father loveth the Son and has committed all things into his hands. Jesus said that. And you know what is included in that package? The judgment of the world. The Father has committed that into his hand. And I want you to look with me. Sometimes we don't tell people about Jesus Christ because we are discouraged. That they will not probably listen to us. Or they will mock at us. Or they will call us stupid and dumb and simple Christians. Paul did not let all that bug him. Look at what the Bible tells us in verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Verse 33, so Paul departed from among them. Look at verse 34. How be it? Certain men clave unto him. And believed. Amen. Among the which was Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Theologians are debating whether Paul's ministry in the city of Athens had any profit. Was he a successful missionary in that town or was he a failure? You and I cannot decide that. Only God can. But for what we have just heard from these two verses, for the sake of that time in that city, probably an hour or three, we know at least two people by name that will be in heaven for all of eternity. Our witness will never be in vain. May God feed us on our way. Let us pray. Father, thank you for these reminders. Father, I pray that you will encourage our hearts.
to be diligent like Paul, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and his resurrection to the world around us. And Father, help us not to be discouraged by whatever that we may think is a good reason. Therefore, the power of the gospel, that we will proclaim it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor. Thank you, brother, for that. The gospel can permeate and break through any culture. And, uh, you know, Paul just needed wisdom from the Lord to come in and say, Lord, what, what, is, the, what is my avenue in here? And he actually took uh, his open door as, as just taking that unknown God and saying, I'll go with that. And uh, left behind some disciples. You know, uh, Brother Alexander here, he, he's going to face things in Ghana that we won't face here. Just cultural differences, challenges. We don't deal with ancestor worship here. We don't deal with idolatry of that nature here. We have our American idolatry very much so. Um, but there's so many things culturally that will be different. And yet, the gospel uh, is... is is totally sufficient to break through with cultural differences, barriers, uh, difficult dilemmas that we may face. God's word is sufficient. So let's be praying for Brother Tingbani. Thank you for sharing the word. I hope you will come back by the table and uh, get one of his prayer cards. And again, you can sign up for his email newsletter. Uh, but this is, a, this is a great open door. Let's be praying for Ghana and for the churches there. You know, we have, uh, someone asked, I think it was Valerie, asked about curriculum and so forth. We've got so many different gospel tracks and curriculums coming out our ears. And this brother is getting ready to go back and, and start from scratch. We need to pray for him. We need to pray for his team. And we also need to just be, it should be a reminder of how grateful we should be for what God has given to us. And uh, do we even use uh, all that God has given to us, the resources well, let's have a word of prayer. Let's stand together. We'll pray and we'll dismiss. Uh, Brother Alexander, why don't you head back to the back so you can be back there when folks start streaming by. And uh, thank you again, brother. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Thank you, Father, for this challenge from your word. Lord, you used Paul as a faithful and filled with faith missionary uh, to go through some difficult cultures, some... Uh, some difficult uh, darkness, and yet the gospel light broke through everywhere he went. Thank you for that encouragement, Lord. You can break through here in Ann Arbor. You can break through around the world in Ghana. We pray that you would just lift up the Tingbani, speed him on his journey, bring in the support. May he be able to go over there and help with literature, uh, content creation, and teaching, and preaching, and the church planning. There's just so much to do. Uh, we pray that you'd give him wisdom and speed him on his way. Uh, bless now as we dismiss. We pray for safety. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.